we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Go ahead and take your Bibles, if you would. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4. Pastor Hooks, thank you so much for inviting me. I consider it a great honor to be here today. Thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate this so much. Uh, What it is, I'm setting these chairs because I plan on going to sleep while I preach. (laughs) No, that's not it whatsoever. Hey, this is a great, great crowd. Praise the Lord. This is a good crowd to go to heaven with, is it not? Amen. Hey, I don't know about you, I'm looking forward to seeing Jesus face to face. I'm glad I'm going to get a glorified body so I can have glorified lungs so I can praise that of my Lord and Savior. I'm glad I'm going to have glorified ears because I tell you what, I can only imagine the shout there's going to be when we get to heaven. In fact, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and ask you, all right, this is a little bit of rehearsal, just a little bit of time of what it's going to be like in heaven. By the way, we can't do it because we don't have the glorified bodies. But we can give a little bit of our best effort here tonight. And so I hope, you, I hope you won't disappoint me, and most importantly, you won't disappoint the Lord. If you're glad to be in the house of the Lord tonight, say amen. amen. That's pretty good. But I tell you what, can you imagine what it's going to be like when we get in heaven and glory? The shouting, the singing of praises, honoring the Lord. I, tell, I, I don't know about you, I'm excited about that. Well, it's so good to be here tonight. And uh, it is a wonderful joy uh, for me to see my good friends of that of Brother Earl and Miss Jean Miller. And uh, I know they're members of your church. They used to be members of my church. Have they been behaving? No? Well, nothing's changed then, I can tell you that. And nothing's changed. Well, Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to have several verses I'm going to read in just a little bit. But I want you for right now to look at verse 14. Chapter 3 of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul is speaking to the church at Ephesus. And Paul says this, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you see that? I bow my knees. I want you all to listen to me very, very carefully. I, I understand my responsibility here tonight, not just only as a preacher, but also realizing that here over the next several Sundays, you're going to have several different preachers here. here uh, that of Brother Brown, Brother Ingram, Brother Cruz. Uh, from what I understand, uh, these preachers are related to somebody in this church. Uh, I've heard that already. And uh, you may think, well, I'm not related to anybody. I am. Brother Scott Hooks and I are twin brothers. <laughs> I'm the good-looking one. He's the smart one. But um, I want you all to listen to me very carefully. My purpose here tonight is to help set up the table for these men. That's what I want to do. You see, I've learned this over time. If we're not careful that we can get in church service like this and we can be sitting in our seats, we can have our Bibles, have Bibles open where the pastor asked us to open our Bible. But if we're not careful, we can let our mind wander. And our minds can wander to places that we never thought it could wander to, maybe things at work, maybe about things you've got to do this week, maybe some things you've got to do even after the service. Or I don't know what might be entering your mind. Kids might be all excited about school and thinking about school. 
But your mind can wander. Next thing you know, the preacher's saying, okay, go ahead and bow your heads. Next thing you know, the service is over and you've missed it. Now, I don't want that to happen here tonight. And my purpose is to help you to set up so that when these men come, you'll listen very, very intently. The Apostle Paul says that I bow my knees to the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I want to speak on here tonight is spending time with God. Spending time with God. Folks, can I tell you, the most critical thing that you and I can do in our personal life is spend time with God. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'll be with us here tonight. Lord, I pray that you'll bless your word, bless that of the preaching of God's word. Lord, it's not about us. It's not about the preacher. It's not about uh, what we can do. Lord, it's about you. Our focus ought to be on you. Our attention ought to be on you. Our mind and our hearts. Lord, it's already been quoted here tonight, Lord, that we're, we're to seek after God. Lord, I'm so glad that when you saved me, Lord, it's because you sought me out. And now, Lord, that I'm saved, it's my responsibility to seek you out, to pursue after you. And, Lord, I just pray that we will. Lord, it was said of David that he was a man after God's own heart. And Lord, we know that does not speak of perfection because David was not. David was a sinner. David sinned. But, Lord, when I ever hear that and read that, that he was a man after God's own heart is not speaking of perfection, is speaking of pursuit. And Lord, we ought to be pursuing after you. So help me here this evening, Lord, and I'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I had some gentlemen bring some chairs up here, and I'm so glad they did because, you know, when it comes to that of your life and my life, Every one of us in the seat that we sit in, we sit in essence when it comes to describing our life in one of three chairs at any given time. One of these chairs, I want to call that of your family responsibility chair. It is a chair that every single one of us sits in. Now for me, for me, when it comes to that of my family responsibility, when I sit in this chair, that means that there are several roles that I have as a person. I am a husband. I have a great responsibility of taking care of my wife, whether it comes to that of physical needs, when it comes to that of emotional needs, when it comes to that of spiritual needs. And because I am a husband, I am to be the spiritual leader in that in my home. And all the men said, oh my goodness, folks, that is an awesome responsibility that I have. I'm also a father. I have a I have a girl, a daughter, and she's all grown now. She's married now, and uh, she lives uh, in Johnson City and has a wonderful husband. They serve the Lord there at a great church, Buffalo Ridge Baptist Church. But growing up, that of my daughter, I had an awesome responsibility of taking care of her, so I'm a father. I, ha I am a son. My mother lives across the street from me, and I have responsibilities with her. My mother is 86 years old. She can't do what she used to do and things that she can't do. I step in. I help. I make sure that her house is taken care of. I make sure that things are fixed. I make sure that her grass is cut. When she needs me to take her to the doctor, I am there for her. I take that responsibility very, very carefully. And I have in-laws or outlaws or whatever you want to call them. 
living also right beside of me. By the way, I love my in-laws, wonderful, precious people. But I do my best to take care of them. I was installing one of those ring doorbells on their house just the other day, and, and it was one of those things, we don't know what to do. David, can you do it? So I, I did that. So you understand that every one of us, and ladies, by the way, you have your responsibilities, your mothers, and, and you're, you're a wife, and, and you're a daughter, and we all have these various responsibilities. And children, believe it or not, kids, teenagers, you have your responsibility to be respectful and, and to be obedient and to, and to learn from your mom and dad and to follow that of their example. So every one of us sits in this chair. It's that of family responsibility. But, but uh, whether you realize it or not, it, there's another chair that we sit in. Uh, and that is a chair that pulls at us, it tugs at us, and is constantly calling us. And so sometimes we have to get out of this chair to go into another chair. And I want to call it the factory chair. It is a chair that, that um, by and large, that uh, as, as you as adults, especially adults, unless you're retired, you've already done that, you're glad that you're retired. How many of y'all retired and happy for it? Amen, amen. I look forward to that day. About another 40 years, I'll retire. <laughs> but uh, this chair is a responsibility you have when it comes to that of providing for your family, and you have to work a job. And, and you know, for me, and I'm, I'm just going to describe me just to help you a little bit, this is a responsibility I have as pastor of my church, Beth Haven Baptist Church. Now, I hope you don't think this of your pastor. Your pastor is a wonderful man. I, he laughs, he chuckles. But, uh, uh, there, I mean, you really, you have a great pastor. You ought to pray for your pastor. As part of your fasting and praying, you ought to pray for your pastor because I will tell you this, Satan has his crosshairs on your pastor. If he can get your pastor to fail, if he can get your pastor to sin, he can wipe out an awful lot of people in this church in one swoop. And by the way, don't think that your pastor is what most people think preachers are. Most people think that preachers play golf, pray once in a while, eat chicken and drink gravy. <laughs> Folks, I'm here to tell you, there is so much more than you will ever see with that of your eyes with what your pastor does. I've got two young men that have been in my church and uh, one of them actually approached me, one of, your, one of you people approached me here tonight do I know a Justin Thurman? Justin Thurman was a member of my church for about 10 years. But back in January, he took on that of a pastorship right here in Hickory. In fact, Brother Hooks, you have met this young man, and, and you know that church there at Oakland Heights Baptist Church. I remember when, when he said that he finally realized that God had called him to pastor and that he was excited for it. Well, about three weeks later after he... He took that of his pastorship. He called me and says, Preacher, I never knew. I never knew what was required of a pastor of a church. I got another young man who was my assistant for 21 years, Brother Scott Whitman. I love Brother Scott. I tell Brother Scott all the time, one of these days you're going to pastor somewhere and you're going to find out that it's not the same as being an assistant pastor. It, it, he would question me on that. He would say, Preacher, I, I don't think it can be as difficult as you say. Well, we had lunch on Friday, and here's what he said. Preacher, I didn't know. 
Folks, I'm here to tell you there's so much more to pastoring than just preaching. By the way, that is an ultimate responsibility of him. If you only knew how much time your pastor would spend in time of study just for one sermon. Now, he's a whole lot smarter than me. It takes me six to eight hours to prepare any given sermon. Probably takes him 30 minutes. <laughs> oh, it takes a long time, doesn't it, Brother Hooks? It takes a lot of study and prayer. Seeking out God. Beyond that, there's the care of the church. There's the administration of the church. There's dealing with all different types of people. Uh, when you have building programs, there's construction companies. There's inspectors. When it comes to uh, the staff and take care of the staff, there's meeting with insurance uh, agents. There's, there, there, I'm, I'm, my point is this. There's a lot of time spent in this chair. Especially those of you who work jobs, no matter what it is, whether you're an electrician, whatever it is, uh, you may be a salesman. There's all kinds of things. There, there's sales goals, there's, there's quotas, there's, there's phone calls. You understand that in this chair, it takes a lot of time. Would you agree with that? Would you also agree that it takes an awful lot of time in this chair, when it comes to your family, taking care of your, taking care of your family, husbands of, of your wife and that of your children, wives of that of your husband and that of your children, children, when it comes to the responsibilities of doing their chores. By the way, kids ought to have chores. They ought to learn how to work. But there's an awful lot of time in this. And I don't know about you, I never seem to have enough time. I'm, I'm one of those that wishes there was 36 hours in a day. I wish we had 14-day weeks because I'm the kind of person like seem like I never, never have enough time. And you do understand there's a lot of pull. If, 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 there's a lot of responsibility. If you've got kids, soccer games, school, basketball practice, taking your kids to the doctor, to the orthodontist, to the emergency care. Then there's the... The pool over here of the boss is constantly being on top of you and saying, listen, you need to get this done. We got deadlines here. There's a pool. But hold on. There's another chair that needs to be in that of our life. And I'm here to tell you of all the chairs, this is the most important of all the chairs. And I'm calling it the fellowship chair. The time that we spend with God. Now, if you're listening, say amen. amen. Listen to me. Hear me and hear me well. If you and I ignore this chair, spending time with God, spending time in prayer, spending time in God's Word, spending time meditating on that of God's Word, spending time studying God's Word, and by the way, not out of duty, but out of delight, but spending time with God. Let me tell you what chairs are going to be frustrating let me tell you what chairs you're going to find yourself floundering in. These chairs. Because I'm here to tell you, when you make time, can I tell you, this chair doesn't just happen by happenstance. It takes time. It takes toil. Can I tell you, spending time with God is not easy because Satan is going to do everything that he can to distract you from meeting with God. You know, one of the things I say to my church, Satan, not only is he a master of disaster and master of disguise, he is a master of distraction. 
That's why I said at the beginning of this, please listen to this message here tonight. Please listen throughout the whole thing because the, the last thing that Satan wants you to hear is that you need to spend time with God. But I'm here to tell you, when you spend time with God, it makes a difference for this chair and it makes a difference in that chair. And by the way, even if these chairs fall apart, you better make sure you're in this chair. We need to spend time with God. Hey, folks, if there's anybody that was busy, the Apostle Paul was busy. He was an individual. He was an individual that was as busy as can be. I mean, here's a guy who was a preacher. Here's a guy who would pastor. Here's a guy who was a missionary, a man who was that of an evangelist. He was also an author. Half of our New Testament was written by this man. He was a traveling missionary. Then there were those times he was constantly being brought before that of whether magistrates or that of uh, Sanhedrin uh, uh, courts and was constantly being accused and would have to defend himself. Here was a man who would spend time in prison. He was either beaten, he would either be shipwrecked, and then on top of that, in order to support that of his own life, he had to be that of a tent maker. Here's a man who is busy, but he made time for God. Hey, by the way, can I just add something to this? This is not only should you desire to meet with God, God already desires to meet with you. Heard a story about that of a little boy. Heard a story about a little boy that um, he was asleep at night when his daddy walked in. His dad had been working at the job and they had a very special project that was taking weeks upon months to that complete. So the father would constantly have to get up before the boy would ever wake up and go to work. And many times he would come back home when the boy was already in bed asleep. Well, one particular night, this little boy, he was awake. He was so missing his daddy. He still, he wanted to spend time with that of his father. And when the father walked in, he was trying to be quiet. He heard the father walk through the front door, shut it, shut off the lights, was walking down the hallway when the little boy said, Hey, Daddy, hey, Daddy. And that father opened the door and said, Son, you, what are you doing awake? You should, you should be asleep. He says, Well, Daddy, I, I've just missed you, and I've just been laying here just wondering if I could spend time with you. He says, Well, son, he says, I'm sorry, but we got this project, and, and uh, it'll be a little bit longer, and I'm sorry that I can't spend time with you. He said, well, Daddy, can I just ask you a couple of questions? Then, then um, we'll go to sleep. And, and he said, okay, son. He said, what, what, he said what, what, what would you like to ask? He said, well, Dad, I, I'd like to know, how much money do you make? And the dad said, son, that's an unusual question to ask. Son, are you worried that I won't be able to make enough? I, I am able to make enough. I'm able to support the family, able to make sure that you have clothes, you have food, and and you have a roof over your head. No, no, Daddy, I don't think you understand. Daddy, how much do you make an hour? He said, Son, I, I don't know. I don't know if I should tell you that. That's just one of those things. You remember how we was growing up? That's one of those things you never asked. How much does someone make? He said, Daddy, I need to know. How much do you make an hour? He says, Well, son, I, I think I do pretty good. I make $30 an hour. Well, Daddy, here's my second question. Daddy, can I borrow $10? Well, the father's feeling guilty about not being there for his son. Well, he opens up his wallet and pulls out a $10 bill and he gives it to his son. That boy takes that $10, he hops out of bed, he goes over to, his, to that of his uh, uh, shelf there where he's got his piggy bank and he busts it open. He counts his change, he's got $20 there. He puts the $10 with the $20 and he goes to his dad and says, Dad, can I just spend one hour with you? Now listen to me, folks. We've got a heavenly Father that so much wants to spend time with us. 
that God paid for it. Has that not ever dawned on you? You do understand we've got that of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who sat in that of glory in eternity past and was adored by that of angels where they would cry out, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. They were constantly praising His name, honoring Him. He was being worshipped, but Jesus Christ left that. And Jesus Christ came to this world. He overstepped that of Saturn and then Jupiter and then that of Mars. And He stepped in this world and He lived among that of sinful men. And He, and he, he was... He was buffeted, he was crucified, he was beaten, and he died on the cross of Calvary in order to remove the barrier of sin, in order to make us righteous in the sight of God so that he could, so that he could bridge every gap and that he could make every opportunity so that you and I could spend time with God. We find the Apostle Paul wanting to spend time with God. Do you remember the story of Mary and Martha? The story of Mary and Martha where Martha had invited Jesus and the disciples to come to that of her house and they were going to have a meal. Do you remember how that Martha was in the kitchen and she was preparing the meal? I can see it in my, I can see it in my mind's eye. She's all flustered. She's got flour all over her. Her, her apron's probably crooked and and, uh, and, and she's got sweat and just beating down. And all along while she's banging pots and pans and trying to make everything there for Jesus and the disciples, she's wondering, where in the world is my stinking sister? Where in the world is Mary? And I can see it in my mind and that they probably, in her house, probably had them double swinging doors. When I was growing up in my house, uh, in our kitchen, we had one of them double swinging doors. You know, it'd swing this way and they would automatically close. And I can imagine there was one of those kind of doors. And I can just see her now just pushing that door open and says, Jesus, would you tell Mary to get off her backside and come in here and help me? Any remember what Jesus' response was? Martha, Martha. Thou art cumbered about many things. Hey, Martha, you're bothered. Martha, you're caught up in this chair of family responsibility and you're caught up in this chair of factory responsibility where you have forgotten that better part. Mary hath chosen that good part. Where was Mary? She was at the feet of Jesus. You know what she was doing? She was spending time with God. I can see Martha. She was just, she was so bothered by that of business, the burden of business. Now I wonder about us. Are we burdened? You know, the devil's real good at convincing us that we don't need to spend time with God, that we can be okay. It's okay to miss prayer time once in a while. It's okay to miss that of your devotion time, your personal time with God. It's okay to miss your Bible time. Hey, Satan is really good at convincing people it's okay to miss your church time. But folks, we need to spend time with God. So real quickly here, I just want to read some things here. We're here in chapter 3. Here's what Paul says. And, and, and listen, my introduction is a whole lot longer than my points, but I want you to listen to this, if you will. Look again at verse 14. For this cause, 
I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, Paul is saying, listen, I'm making time for God. In spite of what's going on in my life, in spite of what may be going wrong in my life, I am making time for God. Then in verse 15, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Hey, folks, if you want this chair to be less frustrating, if you want this chair to be less to where you're floundering in life, you and I need to spend time in this chair Spending time with God. So three things that I want to share as a benefit, as a blessing of spending time with God. Now listen, we could talk here tonight about what it takes to spend time with God. Listen, I don't want to insult your intelligence. You know what it means to spend time with God. You know. You know it means spending time in God's Word. You know it means spending time in prayer. You know it means being faithful to the house of God and coming with a receptive heart with that of a tender heart, ready to hear what God has to say through the man of God. You know that. But I want to talk about the benefits. Here's what I wrote down. Number one, listen, when you and I make time for God, when you and I spend time with God, it makes us, number one, it makes us stronger. It makes us stronger. Now look, if you will, at verse 16. Here's what Paul says, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Now listen to what he says to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Hey, Paul says, listen, when you spend time with God, it strengthens you. Now, when I say it strengthens you, does that mean it strengthens you with muscles? No. Does it strengthen you where you have the ability to bench press that more? No. He says here, it strengthens you where? In the inner man. Now, you do understand we have an outer man. That's the part that we see of each other. That's the part that I see of you. I see that of the outer man. I see that of the outside of you. I cannot see the inside of you. Now, God can, but I can't. We all have an outer man, but we also all have that of an inner man. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, he says, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish. Oh, can I give testimony to that? I'm, I'm, I'm almost 61 years of age, brother. I know I don't look it. But can I tell you, I can't do what I used to do. I remember when I first came on staff at my church, at Beth Haven Baptist Church, I, became, uh, I came there as assistant pastor, youth pastor. And the man who pastored there, one of my dearest and truest friends, the Lord's already seen fit to take him home. His name was J.D. Morris. But I remember J.D., one day he said, listen, we're going to have to get up on the roof. We're going to have to do some repairs up on the roof. And I said, man, I'll be there first thing in the morning. In fact, I got there before he did. When I got there, in fact, I did actually a foolish thing. I went ahead and got up on the roof because I said, I, 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 want, to, I want my pastor to be proud that I, I, was, uh, I took the initiative and that I was going to be up there. And by the way, it was a foolish thing to go up on the roof by myself, but I did. And when I got up there, listen, I was, I, I mean, I was like a gazelle. 
Man, I was walking all over that roof. And, and, and listen, if you, if you know anything about roofs, some roofs can be steep and some roofs can be steep. And this is one of those, those steep roofs, but it didn't bother me. Boy, I'd be walking all over. You asked me to get on a roof today, uh-uh. In fact, I told my staff, I want you to understand the language of me. I, every once in a while, I say, we need to do this. And when I say we need to do this, what I mean is you need to do this. I'm not going to get on a roof anymore. I'm scared to get on roofs. Boy, when I was a young man, I could walk all over. I could run on that roof. And today, I don't have the strength that I used to have. I don't have the ability that I used to have. Listen, it's amazing how we in our culture today, we do everything we can to improve the outer man. We lift weights, we lose weight, we try to improve our diet, we run on treadmills, we take vitamins, we eat cardboard. <laughs> we do all those things, but listen, in spite of all of our efforts, can I tell you what our outer man is doing? It's perishing. But our inner man is permanent. You see, it's our inner man that God created that he can have communion with. And God says that when we spend time within, that God strengthens that. By the way, the verse I just read, in fact, let me just continue to read. He says, for which cause, talking about 1 Corinthians 4, verse 16, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed, now listen to this phrase, day by day. Well, that's a unique phrase. That phrase, day by day, that phrase is used 11 times in God's Word. And every one of those has a spiritual lesson, and one of the greatest lessons we can learn is this. We need to spend with God day by day because the inner man needs to be strengthened day by day. Folks, that's what God wants to do. By the way, we need God's strength because our inner man is weak. Our inner man is anemic. Our inner man is struggling, is run down. And the only way I can strengthen it is to spend time to get alone with God. Folks, can I tell you, temptations and trials and troubles are too hard on my own. I need God, especially the time we live in. You know we live in the last days. How many of y'all believe we live in the last days? How many of y'all believe we're living in perilous times? Remember what Jesus Christ said? He said the last days would be like the days of Noah and like the days of Lot. Now I find that unique that Jesus Christ would point out those two individuals. Now we know what it was like in the days of Noah. It says in Genesis 6, he says, And God saw the wickedness of the man that it was great in the earth, that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. Does that not describe our generation? Evil thoughts continually, our imaginations. All you have to do is go on Facebook, I mean, excuse me, Facebook. And look at what people will post. Listen, I'm shocked at even what so-called Christians will post. That's what it was like in the days of Noah, and that's what it's like in the days of our day. But hold on. When he starts describing the days of that of, uh, 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 of that of Lot, the Bible says it this way, The Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, because their sin is very grievous. Folks, that is true of our world today. You know, I, here it is. I'm at, I'm at an age where I never thought I'd see the day where homosexuality, where, I, where 
uh, homosexual marriage would be legalized. I never thought I'd see that as a kid. I never thought I'd see that as a teenager. Now listen, I'll praise God. We finally had a Supreme Court that got, got a little bit of sense in their mind to repeal abortion. But can I tell you, the other side's going to do as hard as they can to make sure it's legal. Folks, but I'm here to tell you, there's a reason Jesus pointed out those two men, Noah and Lot. Because both men lived in evil days, just like we are. But one man spent time with God, and another man did not spend time with God. One man had an altar in his life, and one man did not. Noah sought out God, and God was pleased with that, and he saved his family. Lot he embraced the culture. He embraced the world. And as a result, he did not spend time with God and he lost his family. Y'all with me here today? You understand what I'm trying to say? See, both men were saved, but one man saved his family and another man lost his family. I'm here to tell you, when you spend time with God, it makes you stronger. Number two, spend time with God, not only does it make you stronger, it makes you sweeter. Amen. Nothing more discouraging than to see bitter, born-again believers. Look, if you will, at verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. Folks, I'm here to tell you, you spend time in the presence of God. Hey, by the way, Psalm 16, verse 11 says this, that in, the pres that in thy presence there is fullness of joy. I want to tell you, when you and I spend time with God, there is true, true joy in one's life. And I'm here to tell you, it makes you stronger and it makes you sweeter. Now, when I'm talking about being sweeter, I'm talking about your attitude. I'm talking about your disposition. I'm talking about how you carry yourself. Folks, I want you to listen to me. I want you to look this way. If there's ever a time that God's people needs to love, is right now. If there's ever a time we need to love Jesus, if there's ever a time we need to love one another, if there's ever a time we need to love the lost, is right now. Can I tell you, if you as a husband, if you as a wife would spend time with God, you'll love your wife. You'll love your spouse. You'll love your children the way you ought to. Hey, if you'll spend time with God, it'll be amazing how you'll love one another in the house of God when it comes to the family of God. Just think what would happen if everybody just to spend time with God. Just look at the harmony and the unity that would happen inside that of Tabernacle Baptist Church. It's, it's no telling what God can do if we just spend time with God. Listen, if there's ever time we need harmony and unity, if there's ever time we need love and compassion, it's now. There's one thing that could be said about our country is divide it like it's never been before. Of course, there's the political divide, conservative against that of liberal. There's that of uh, uh, racial division. Uh, hey, I'm so glad to see people of all various races inside this room here. In my church, we got several different people. We got, Brother Hooks, we've got some teenagers who are black teenagers that we've been picking up on bus routes and not only have they graduated from high school, but they're getting ready to go to Bible college. And their moms and dads are lost, and they're desperately praying for them. But can I tell you what's made the difference in those lives? We've got a church that loves those people. Man, there's nothing worse than a born-again believer having prejudice against people just because of their color of their skin. 
I want to tell you what, there's so much divide. I've had to deal with families who are fussing and fighting. Husbands and wives are going after each other's throats. Children who are upset with moms and dads. I've seen in churches where singers were mad at the at other singers, where preachers were mad at deacons, and deacons were mad at Sunday school teachers, and this group and that group. Can, I, can y'all just do me a favor? Pastor, I, I don't want to embarrass you, but would you be willing to stand just for a second and face that of your church family? I want everybody in this church to look at this man right here. Everybody. Oh, he fell asleep already. <laughs> look at your pastor. Let me tell you something. He is not your enemy. Could everybody say amen to that? I like what the Apostle Paul, I think it was in Galatians, he said in chapter 4, am I your enemy because I tell you the truth? Listen, there's going to be times he gets up here, and listen, it's not that he cherishes this, but there'll be times he has to meet certain subjects and, and certain discussions that he has to talk about that it does not, it does not make his heart go, Woo, I get to whip them. No. It breaks his heart that he has to talk about this, but he's telling you the truth. The Bible does say this, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And this man is your friend. By the way, pastor, look at them. They're not your enemy. By the way, look around. If it doesn't hurt your eyes to look at your neighbor, look at them. Just look around. Y'all are not the enemy. The enemy, thank you, brother. The enemy is the world. The enemy is that of our flesh. The enemy is Satan himself. Folks, we are not the enemy. Therefore, we ought to love one another. It's not the person who's sitting in the pew. It is not the person standing behind the pulpit. You know, the Bible says a house divided against itself cannot stand. And folks, not only is that true for a nation, that's true for a family, and that's true for a church. And when we spend time with God, it unites us. We love one another. It makes us sweeter. Folks, can I tell you, Satan is a master of dividing people. When I was growing up, there was a word that my father, and as a kid, I didn't know what he meant by it, but he said, hey, don't, don't get in clicks. I didn't know what he meant by that. I thought he meant don't get in a group that starts going, you know, I thought that's what he meant. <laughs> but what he meant was this. There will be some people said, listen, it's us four no more. They won't let any people get inside of their inner circle. By the way, there's nothing wrong with having good friends and great friends and people that you go out to eat with, but can I tell you, and by the way, I love seeing what, that about the children and that of the, uh, uh, what was the name of that again? Wonderfully made. wonderfully made. How they're fearfully and wonderfully made. And those children that in the eyes of the world are not worth it, but in the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ, they are precious. And I'm so glad to see this is a church that loves every single one of them. And listen, they may not be able to show it socially, but they know you love them. And it makes a difference. Folks, I'm here to tell you, Satan knows how to divide. I don't know if you've ever bust wood before. When I was growing up, we used to have a fireplace and we'd burn wood and we'd have to go cut and I found out some wood is easy to bust. Not good at burning. My dad would cut poplar down once in a while, and I, I said, Dad, why do we burn this? It burns so fast. And he said, oh, well, this is all we got. But every once in a while, he'd get hold of an oak tree, and every once in a blue moon, he got hold of a hickory tree. 
If there's one thing I know about hickory, it can be hard to bust. You ever tried to bust hickory? Swing that old axe and it just bounce off. You know how you bust it? You know how you split it open? Ready? You find a crack. You put a wedge. And you pound that wedge down and it comes apart. You know what Satan loves to do in this church? Find a crack. Put a wedge. And split this church wide open. You know how to avoid that? Spend time with God. Makes you stronger. It makes you sweeter. Number three. Hope this doesn't sound arrogant, but it makes you smarter. Maybe I ought to say it this way. It makes you wiser. You look, if you will, at verse 18 and 19. That we may be able to comprehend. That means to understand, to gain wisdom, to have insight. May be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height then notice this, and you all say it out loud, and to what? To know. to know. Not to guess, not to wonder, and to know the love of Christ. Folks, I'm here to tell you, when you spend time with God, it makes you smarter. Maybe I can say it this way. People who get in the presence of God learn things that those who don't spend time with God will never learn. Can I say that again? Those who get in the presence of God learn things like those who do not spend time with God will never learn. Have you ever found this to be true when you witness to a lost person? When you explain the gospel and you explain it very clearly, they still don't seem to get it. Have you ever had that happen before? You explain to them, hey, you're a sinner just like I'm a sinner. And how because we're sinners we're in desperate need of salvation. There's nothing that you and I can ever do to earn our way to heaven because we are sinners. We all fall short of God's standard. We can't do it on our own. That's why God sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ to this world, to die in my place and to die in your place. He paid the price for you and for me that if you'll just trust Him, if you'll just call on Him, if you'll just believe He's the Son of God and that He died on the cross for you, that if you'll call on Him, He'll take care of all your sin. He'll change your life. He'll give you eternal life. You'll have a home in glory. By the way, did I not just explain the gospel very clearly? Can I tell you what lost people do sometimes? Huh? What? That's weird. Can I tell you why that is? Because Satan has blinded their eyes to the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have, have you ever encountered somebody who says, man, why in the world is there so much sin and wickedness in this world? Why does God allow this? Why did God allow 9-11? Why did God allow that shooting in Cincinnati that was just the other day, yesterday? Why does God allow these shooters to go into schools and, and, and these, these wild, deranged people just gun down students and teachers? Why is it? And, and when you try to explain to them about what sin does and how damaging sin is, it's, man, that, that, that just doesn't make sense. But for those of us who spend time with God, for those of us 
who spend time in God's Word, God answers those questions. Can you do this? Would you take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 73? Psalm 73 was written by a man by the name of Asaph. Asaph was struggling in life. Asaph was looking at the world. He was looking at the culture. He was seeing the wickedness in the world. And he had all kinds of questions. He was mighty, mighty confused. He was seeing the wicked prosper. And he was seeing the godly not prosper. And he had all kinds of questions. And he says even in verse 2, he says this, But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slid. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I was looking at this world and looking at the condition of this world and things going on in this world and seeing how the wicked would just seem to have their way and how the godly were constantly being oppressed. And he really, he was having a problem. He was confused by what God was doing and what God was allowing. He was confused about how the wicked were prospering and the righteous were suffering. How did the people who didn't live for God, they were doing just wonderful. And how the people who did live for God, the things just were not going great. And as a result, Asaph says, listen, I was slipping. In other words, spiritually, I was just, I mean, I was falling apart. But the turning point of this whole psalm comes in verse 17. He goes on to describe how he just can't understand. But then in verse 17 he says, Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I therein. You know what Asaph was saying? Listen, I was looking at this world and I was seeing all the things that were happening and I was, I was slipping spiritually. But then I went to the house of God. And the man of God got behind the pulpit and the man of God took the word of God and started to preach the very things I needed to hear and it spoke to my heart and my, my heart and my spiritual mind became enlightened. I started to understand some things. You know what was happening? He was spending time with God. And God was revealing some things to him. In fact, he goes on to say, if you will, in verse 26, My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You know where he learned that? At the house of God. And then it says in verse 28, here he's now, now he's wanting to get in the presence of God, but it is good for me, notice this, to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. Listen, here he was. He was slipping. He was failing. He was backsliding. He was almighty confused, but he went to the house of God and goes, okay, I get it now. I understand it. Listen, the wicked will not get by with it. Just as David says, one day they'll be cut down like the grass. Just like when you mow your lawn. Listen, one day the wicked's going to be cut asunder. And he said, listen, I get it. Listen, they're not on the winning side, but praise God, I am. And I know that even though this world is wicked, it's just temporary. And one day I'm going to spend eternity with that of my heavenly Father. And everything's all right in my Father's house. Where did he learn that? Spending time with God. Folks, you and I, if we're going to ever make time for God, we need to do it now. Can I just... Can I just close with this? There's an awful lot of people. Preacher, I don't know how I can make it in this world. So many issues and so many problems. I'm overwhelmed. 
I'm overwhelmed with all of my family responsibilities. Got so much going. And at the same time, there's a huge tug and a huge pull at the factory. And I got all these deadlines and the boss is down my neck. He's breathing down my neck. And preacher, I'm about to fall apart. Preacher, I just wish all my problems would be gone. Can I tell you, God doesn't promise you that all your problems will be gone. In fact, can I give you a good illustration? Here's a, here's a good illustration. I don't know about here. Have y'all been experiencing an awful lot of storms lately? We have at my house. It's, it's one of those kind of things. It could be raining cats and dogs at my house, but a mile down the road, it's dry as a bone. The other day, I had to go to Walmart. Everybody goes to Walmart. Had to go to Walmart, and when I got there, I mean, it started to pour down rain. And listen, I was pressed for time. So I actually pulled my phone up to look up to see the radar, and I found out that the storm was going to hang there for a little while. I said, well, I got a choice. I can either stay here and wait and be late for what I need to be on time for, or I can just go out in the rain and go through. So here's what I did. I reached inside of that of the side pocket of my door of my, of my truck, and I pulled out an umbrella. And I opened that door, and I popped that umbrella. And here's what I did. I walked out in the rain, but can I tell you, I was kept dry by the umbrella. See, folks, that umbrella could not stop the rain, but that umbrella could keep me dry. Folks, I cannot stop the troubles and trials of my life, but I got a spiritual umbrella when I spend time with God. Spending time with God strengthens me. It makes me sweeter, and it makes me smarter that I can withstand the troubles and the trials because I've got the God that with God nothing is impossible. There is nothing too hard for our God. But it requires we spend time with God. Folks, God paid the price so He can spend time with you. Are you willing to spend the time to be with Him? Now folks, I, when it comes to invitation time, all I can do is preach, and all I can do is leave it up to the Holy Spirit. But I think if you want this church to be blessed, if you want your life to be blessed, if you want to stop the frustration, stop the flounderings, stop that of the failings of your life, maybe we ought to get down to an old-fashioned altar and say, Dear God, I'm going to make sure that I spend time in this chair, that I spend time with you. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.